We are now up to the fourth aliyah in Parshas Naso, and even though it's a very long aliyah, I want to spend a little extra time going into some of the details of the Sota, because I think it's very misunderstood. And if someone hasn't actually learned the Talmudic tractate of Sota, they probably have a great misconception as to what it entails. I think people get the misimpression that the Sota is a case where the husband becomes jealous of his wife, and he drags her to the Beis HaMikdash, and they pour this water down her throat, and she explodes. And it seems very one-sided, very oppressive, certainly not politically correct. In fact, there's a lot more that goes on, just like when the Torah says, don't murder. It's not the full detail of it. That doesn't include all the details as far as self-defense and war, all sorts of details that are true of any mitzvah. So same thing here, the details are not all in the Torah. And if you learn the, the Mishnah and the Gemara, you get a lot more out of it. So I want to read just a couple of excerpts from the Mishnah in Masechah Sota so we can better understand it as we read it in the Chumash. So the first Mishnah in the first chapter of Sota says, Hamakane Ishto, someone who warned his wife, Rabbi Eliezer Omer makana la al pi umashka al pi echad o al pi atzmo. He has to warn her not to be secluded with a certain individual in the presence of two witnesses, but if she does, then he can cause her to drink these waters based on the testimony of one other person or even himself who saw her secluded with that man. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Mekanala apishnaim umashka apishnaim. Rabbi Yeshua says no, that she has to be warned in front of two witnesses, and two witnesses have to witness her secluded with the individual she was warned about. So the first thing we need to understand is this is not just a man who flies into a jealous rage. This is a man who has reason to suspect, for whatever reason, that it's not a good idea if his wife is around a certain individual. Maybe that individual is a gigolo. Maybe his wife has a, a former relationship. Whatever the reason is, he has reason to believe that his wife and this man equals no good. He says, stay away from him. If she is secluded with him for a certain amount of time and people are aware of it, then that's the case that generates the Sota, the suspected wife. If we look at the third Mishnah of the third chapter, then we can also see that this was not something the woman had to go through. She could opt out. Until the scroll that's written, as we'll see in the Chumash, is erased, she can say, I refuse to drink. In which case, her scroll that was written for her is put into storage, Seamus as it were, and her sacrifice is scattered. If the scroll has already been erased, but she says, I'm guilty. I, in fact, did have relations with this other man. In that case... The water into which the scroll has been erased is spilled out, and once again her sacrifice is scattered. But if the scroll has already been erased and she says, I won't drink, she doesn't say she's guilty, but she says she won't drink, in that case, then they force her to drink it against her will. So until the point when the scroll is erased, because the scroll contains God's name, it's a huge exception that we're permitted to erase it for this purpose. Until that point, she can just refuse to drink. If she refuses to drink, then she's divorced, but she doesn't get the value of her ksuba, which is the money that she would receive upon the uh, death of her husband or divorce. Same thing if she admits that she was guilty. She wouldn't be subject to the death penalty, even though adultery is a capital crime, because that only happens when it's through witnesses. But if she admits that she was adulterous, then she would be divorced and not get the ksuba. Now, another case is, and, and this is later in the Mishnah, that the man can refuse to make his wife drink. I don't want to make my wife drink. I don't want my wife to explode, as it were. 
in which case he would divorce her, but he would pay her the ksuba. So he could also refuse to have her drink, in which case the difference is, because it's his refusal, she gets the money. So in no case does she have to drink. She always has a way out until the last minute, and even then she can get out by admitting that she was guilty. Something else that's important to know is people imagine that she drinks, and right there on the spot, her internal organs burst. That's not necessarily what happens. If you read in the middle of the next Mishnah, which is chapter 3, Mishnah 4, it says here, Yesh zechus tola shana achas, yesh zechus tola shanim, yesh zechus tola shanim. That there are merits for the mitzvahs that she's done. Some merits will cause her punishment to be suspended for a single year. Other merits will cause her punishment to be suspended two years, and there are even merits that cause her punishment to be suspended three years. So she could drink this water and go on another three years before anything happens. Now, this creates a problem, because if the water proves who's guilty and who's innocent, a woman walks out, doesn't drop dead, you might think she's innocent. Or conversely, if someone is innocent, you might just think that she's guilty, but her punishment was suspended for the next three years. The next Mishnah addresses that. It says here, Hazachus tola ha'ma'ararim, the merit suspends the punishment in the case of these cursed springing waters. Ve'ena yoletas, ve'ena mishbachas. But she doesn't give birth and she doesn't improve. Remember, it's not just that the innocent woman won't explode, it's that the innocent woman will conceive and have a child. The guilty woman, who's not punished immediately, does not conceive, and she also does not improve. Rather, her condition gradually deteriorates over the course of the next period of time until she eventually dies of the prescribed punishment. Now, you also might think that it's unfair that the wife gets punished, but the lover, the man with whom she may have had an adulterous relationship, gets off scot-free. Again, that's not the case. If you look at the first Mishnah in the fifth chapter, it says, Just like the waters test her, it also tests him, the man, the lover. Finally, I want to mention that eventually the entire soda process was done away with. So if we look in the ninth Mishnah of the ninth chapter, so we're very close to the end of the tractate, it says here, Pasku hamayim hamarim, the bitter waters were done away with, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai hifsikan, it was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai who did away with them. Shinamar, and it quotes a biblical verse, Lo efkod albinosechem ki sizneha, ve'alkalosechem ki sinafna ki I will not punish your daughters for acts of znus, for acts of promiscuity, and I will not punish your daughters-in-law for acts of adultery, because they themselves are guilty of these acts. We see that the bitter waters were only effective when the man was innocent. If the man was equally guilty, the woman wouldn't be punished, because that was inconsistent. At a time when promiscuity became so prevalent among the people, even among single people, that there was no presumption of innocence, it wouldn't be effective. So the punishment was suspended altogether because we couldn't assume that it was going to work any longer. That's just some background information, and we'll touch upon these things as we go along. But just the points to reiterate. The woman had to have been warned in advance about a certain individual. She had to be warned in front of witnesses, and then she had to be seen secluded with that person. The woman can get out of it, either by refusing to drink, in which case she's divorced without receiving her ksuba, or by admitting that she's guilty, in which case she's also divorced without receiving her ksuba. And even though it's a capital crime, she does not receive the capital punishment. The man can refuse to have his wife drink, in which case she's divorced, but she receives the value of the ksuba. When the woman drinks, the adulterer is also tested, and the punishment can be suspended for up to three years. So we see that there's a lot of information about the sota that we would learn from reading between the lines of the text, but is not necessarily self-evident on a surface reading. Now let's begin. We are in Sefer B'midbar, the book of Numbers. 
the fifth chapter, Pesach Yud Aleph, verse 11. And the Torah says, Ve'idaber Hashem el Moshe lemor. God spoke to Moshe, and this is what he said. Darov b'nei Yisrael, v'yermars ha'aleihem, ish ish ki sishte ishto, umalabo ma'al. Speak to the children of Israel and tell them, any man whose wife goes astray and trespasses against him. So let's look in Rashi. Ish ish. Makasav lamala min ha'inyan, ish es kedashav lo yihiyu. What about what's written immediately before this? That a man's holy things shall belong to him. Im atama akev matanos ha'kohen. If you withhold from giving the gifts or the portions to the kohen, to the priest, then by your life, this is a form of an oath, it's a promise that you will be required to go before the Kohen to bring him the Sota, to bring him the woman suspected of adultery. So Rashi is explaining the juxtaposition of these two subjects. One is you're supposed to go to the Kohen in order to give him the portions that are appropriate for him. But if you don't go to the Kohen for a good reason, you'll end up going to the Kohen for a not-so so it says ish ish it says a man twice a man a man every man this teaches you that she's actually trespassing against two quote-unquote men hashem who is called ish milchama in the song at the sea he's called the man of war she sins against the quote-unquote man above as well as her husband, Isha Milmata, her husband below. So there are two men who she wrongs if she has, in fact, committed adultery. Let's continue in Pasuk Yud Gimel. If another man, not the husband, has extramarital relations with this woman, and this is concealed from the eyes of her husband, so that she is concealed in secret with no witness that this act has taken place. And she wasn't forced. This is not an act of rape, but she's a willing participant. Let's take a look in Rashi. Beshach of Ish Osa, Prat Lakatan. It says, Ish, this excludes a minor, Umisha Eno Ish, and someone who is not a man. So the laws of the Sota can only come about if she is concealed with a human adult male. Not with a woman, not with an animal, not with a minor. It has to be with a man. We'll skip a little in Rashi. The Nistara, that this is concealed, it's secret. Shir Shetera'e Litumas Bia. The amount of time that she has to be concealed is sufficient for her to become defiled through extramarital relations. But Eid Ein Ba. Ha'im Yesh Ba. But if there is a witness, even a single witness instead of the usual two, who testifies that she has had this kind of relationship, then she does not drink the waters of the of the sota. There is no witness against her. Bituma, that she became impure to her husband through an adulterous act. There are witnesses that she had this act of concealment. So someone has to know that she was alone with this man, but no one saw her actually do the act. Nispasa, she wasn't coerced. Nenasa, it's another word for forced. He grabbed her and he had relations with her. Continuing in Pasuk Yudalad. And the husband is overcome by a spirit of jealousy. Bekina is ishto. And he's jealous of his wife, but he nitma'a, and she is defiled. Or he's overcome with a spirit of jealousy over his wife, and she's not defiled. Looking in Rashi, there comes over him. 
Kodam Sira, before the concealment. Remember that we read in the Mishnah, before we started the Sukkim here, that the man has to have previously warned his wife against concealment with this individual. Ruach Kina Vikine, a spirit of jealousy, and he becomes jealous. This is Rashi speaking. Perishu Rabusenu, our rabbis explained in Sota, which we read earlier. Lashon Hasra, that this is a term of warning. Shemas he warns her. Altisarsi im ishploni, do not conceal yourself with such and such a man. Vihi nitma'a, o avaralav, and she is defiled, or the spirit of jealousy comes over him and she's not defiled. Klomar hu hisraba, that means to say that he warned her. The avaral hasraso, and she didn't listen to his warning, and she went ahead and she concealed herself with this other man. And it's not known whether or not she, in fact, had relations with the other man. All we know is he told her not to be alone with this guy, and she did. Back into the Chumash. Vehevi ha'ish es ishto el ha'kohen, vehevi es karbana aleha, asiris ha'efa kemach sa'orim, lo yitzoka lav shemen, lo yitena lav levona, ki minchas kanoshu, minchas zikaron, mazkeres avon. He brings his wife to the Kohen, and her offering is brought, which is a tenth of an apha of barley meal. Rashi says, Shalo yehe misola, so it should not be fine flour. Kemach sa'orim, barley meal, so aside from the fact that it's not fine, sa'orim velochitim, it's got to be barley and not wheat, and this is uh, quoting the Gemara in Sota. He also saw maise behema v'karbena maichel behema. Since she acted like an animal, then what's brought for her sacrifice is basically animal food. There should not be any oil or frankincense put upon it because it is a mincha, it is an offering, a, a meal offering of jealousies. Let's take a look in Rashi. Lo shemen, karbana mehudar. Oil is not put on it so that her sacrifice should not be beautified. Shehashemen kurei or, because oil is called light. and she acted in darkness. Lo alav levona. And there shouldn't be any frankincense on it either. Shehaimos nekros levona, because the foremothers are called frankincense. Shinamar, and they quotes a pasuk from Shira Shirim. El givas halavona to the hills of frankincense. Vehi perisha midarchehen, and she separated herself from acting in their ways. Minchas kanaos, it is a meal offering of jealousies. Meoreras aleha shte kanaos, two jealousies are aroused against her. Kinas hamakom vekinas habal, the jealousy of God. And the jealousy of her husband. Continuing in the Chumash. The Hikrivosaha Kohen Vahamida Lifne Hashem. The Kohen brings her near and stands her before Hashem. The Lokacha Kohen Mayim Kedoshim Beklichares. Uminha Afar Asher Yihieva Karka Hamishkan Yikacha Kohen Venasan El Hamayim. The Kohen takes holy waters in an earthenware vessel and he takes some of the dirt, some of the dust that's on the floor of the Mishkan and he puts it in the water. Let's take a look in Rashi. Mayim Kadoshim, holy waters. Shikadshu Bakiur. They are sanctified in the kiur, in the basin that was in the Mishkan. With Nasa Hakiur Minachoshes Maros Hatsovos. Vazo Perishamidarchehen. The basin was made of the copper mirrors that were contributed by the women in the generation of the Midbar, people who left Egypt. And this woman, again, separated from their ways, just like she did from the paths of the foremothers. How? because they had relations with their husbands in Egypt underneath the apple trees. And this one sins with another man, so therefore she is tested through the kior, which has the merits of the righteous women who contributed towards its construction. 
Bechlicharis, he hishkasa es hanoef, she gave her lover, she gave the adulterer to drink, yayin meshubach, praiseworthy, fine wine, bekosos meshubachim, in praiseworthy, beautiful cups. Lepikach tishtem mayim hamarim, therefore she drinks bitter water, bimekida bezuya shacharis, in a lowly, despicable piece of pottery. Let's take a quick look over in the Tosos Yantiv on this Pasuk. Two things here. Umin ha'afar asher mishkan. The Kohen sprinkles some of the dust from the floor of the Mishkan on the water. So he quotes the Talmud Yerushalmi. He says, Lama mayim ba'afar uksav. Why is she tested through water, dust, and writing? As we'll see. Mayim makam shabas. Water to represent the place from which she came. Whether that means the drop of semen, or whether that means inside the liquid in the uterus, but she came from water. Afar, lemakam sheholeches. The dirt represents the place that she's going. Ultimately, we all end up in the ground, and we return to dust. Tzav, shehi asida litain din v'cheshbon. And writing, because ultimately she will have to give judgment. When we pass away, after 120 years, we go up before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He's there with his metaphorical book, so that represents the judgment that she'll have to face. The Karkaha Mishkan, Ayin Midle. There's a raised letter Ayin. Bibne, the Ain Noev Shamra Neshaflemor, Losishurani Ayin. This is a verse in Eov where it says that the eye of an adulterer waits for night, saying, Then no one will see me. So there's a little wordplay here since the word Ayin can mean both an eye and it can mean the letter Ayin. So the letter Ayin in this word is emphasized as a reference to the ayin, the eye of the adulterer in this verse. One more thing, let's take a look in the Hizkuni on Rashi. And he takes some of the dirt from the floor of the Mishkan. It's written in the Lekach Tov. Now actually in my Hizkuni there's a footnote that says that the compiler of this book looked in the Lekach Tov and didn't find it. I did not have a Lekach Tov to look in, but it does appear to be in the Tanchuma. Why was dirt, dust, placed in the bitter waters? It's something that the Torah sets as a witness against the Jew. And it quotes the verse, I will set the heavens and the earth as witnesses. Therefore she's caused to drink water and dust in order to fulfill what is written. That the hand of the witnesses should be against him first in order to kill him. The person who is the witness is the first one to act in exacting punishment. Same thing here. The witnesses of heaven and earth are against the Jews. So she drinks water because Shamayim, heaven is Shamayim. Water is there. Afar is, of course, earth. And they are the first ones to cause her punishment. Davar something else, quotes Bamidbar Rabbah, She'im nitmes kozeres la'afar. If she's guilty, then she returns to dust. Bim nitara b'mayim tazria v'tele ben zachar. And if she's innocent through the water, then she will conceive and bear a male child. Let's continue back in the Chumash. V'hemida ha-kohen es ha-isha lefnei Hashem. The Kohen stands the woman before Hashem. Ufara es rosh ha-isha the Kohen lets loose the woman's hair, from which it is implied that her hair is not let loose, and we'll come to that in a minute. And he puts in her hand her meal offering. It is the meal offering of jealousy. 
and in the Kohen's hands should be the waters that cause the curse, the bitter waters that cause the curse. First, let's look in Rashi. The Hemid HaKohen, the Kohen causes her to stand. But we already said two verses earlier that he causes her to stand before Hashem. Rather, they would make her walk around, from place to place, in order to make her tired, so that she would become confused and hopefully confess and avoid the whole process. Ufara, and let loose her hair. Soseres Kalia Sa'ara, he lets loose her tied up hair, Kade Levazosa, in order to shame her. Mikan Levnosisral, Shigile Harosh, Ganailahen. So we see from this that an uncovered head is considered shameful for Jewish women. Let's skip a little on Rashi. Hamarim, the bitter waters. Al Shame Sofan, this is called because of their end result, Shehe Marinla, which will be bitter for her. Hamearim, that caused the curse. Hamachasrim Osamin Haolam. They remove her from the world. Loshon Silon Mamir. It's a language like a destroying thorn. It's a verse in Yechezkel. Veloyi Tokein Lefarish Mayim Arurim. It's not correct to call them cursed waters. Shahari Kedoshim Hain, because they're holy. Velo Arurim Kasaf HaKasuf. And the Pasik doesn't call them cursed. Elema Arurim Esaacherim. Rather, they bring a curse to others. Viaf Onkelis Lotir Game Utaya. Also, Onkelis does not translate it cursed. Ela Melatataya. Rather, they bring a curse. Shemaros klola the gufa shelzu because they bring about a curse in this woman's body. Pasikutes the hishpia osaha kohen the kohen causes her to make an oath. The amar el haisha imlo shachav ish osach and he says to the woman if no man has had relations with you the imlo sotis tuma and if you have not gone astray to become unclean tachas isheich while in your husband's domain, as opposed to before marriage, then you will be free from these bitter waters that bring a curse. But if you have, in fact, gone astray while under your husband's domain, and if you have had relations and become impure, and if some man has had relations with you, other than your husband, and the Kohen causes the woman to swear, what she swears is what we just said, with this oath of a curse, that God should make her a curse and an oath among her people, when God causes, speaking euphemistically, your thigh to fall away and your womb to swell. This is uh, euphemisms for the various reproductive organs. Looking in Rashi, with an oath of a curse. Rashi explains what the word ha'ala means. It's the oath of a curse. God should make you a curse. Everyone will curse through you. They'll use you as an example. May it happen to you such as happened to this woman. And they should also make you an oath. Everyone will swear by you. May such and such not happen to me just like it happened to her. And the curse-bringing waters will enter into your bowels in order to cause your womb or your stomach to swell and your thigh, euphemistically, to fall away. And the woman says, Amen, twice. 
Rashi, Lasbos Beten Velan Piel Yarech, to make her stomach swell and her euphemistic thigh fall away. Bitno Virecho Shel Boel. It's not talking about her in this Pasuk. It's not talking about the woman in this verse. Rather, it's talking about the stomach and the thigh of the adulterer. O Eno Ella Shel Niveles. But maybe it is talking about the adulteress, Rashi asks. Kishu Omer es Yurechich Nofeles Viasbitnech Tzava. When it says previously in verse 21, your thigh will fall and your womb will swell, and that's in the feminine form, Hare Shel Niveles Amor. There it's talking about her stomach and thigh. So this verse is talking about the stomach and thigh of the adulterer, who, as we said in the Mishnah, is also punished when she is punished. Amen, Amen. She says Amen twice. Kabbalah Shavua. She affirms the oath. Amen ha'Allah, amen ha'Shvua. Amen for the curse and amen for the oath. Amen im me'ishzeh, amen im me'ishacher. She says amen whether she was unfaithful with this man or even if she was unfaithful with another man who we don't know about. Amen shalosha'tisi, arusa unasua. Amen that she did not go astray in either of the two stages of marriage, either during erison, which we would call betrothal, or after the Klopa, which we would call Nesuin, Shomeris Yavam, or while waiting for Yibum, if her first husband dies and she marries the brother, Uchnusa, or after having been taken into his house. Back in the Chumash, Pasuk Chav Gimel, verse 23. Ha'kohen basefer. And the Kohen writes these curses in a scroll or in a book. Umacha el mehamarim. And he blots them out in the bitter waters. Vihishka es ha'isha es mehamarim, ha'me'ararim, and he causes the woman to drink these bitter waters which bring about a curse. Uvalba ha'mayim ha'me'ararim lamarim. And there enter into her these waters that cause the curse to become bitter. If you look in Rashi, you'll see, actually if you look to Psukim later, you'll see, that this wasn't actually the point in the process in which the woman drank the waters, but it does mention it here, and it will mention it again in its proper sequence. Pazachapei. The Kohen takes from the woman's hand her meal offering, that barley flour that she brought, and he waves it before Hashem and offers it on the altar. Actually, as Rashi explains, the two of them offer it, he guides her hands in the waving process. And the Kohen takes a kmitza, which is three fingers full of this grain offering, as a memorial, and he causes it to smoke on the altar. The achar yashke es ha'isha es And afterwards, he causes the woman to drink the water. So what's vihishka es hamayim? He causes her to drink the water. This is similar to what we said previously. Rashi explains, L'rabos she'im amra eni shosa. This comes to include that if she refuses to drink, l'achar shenim chaka ha after the scroll has been erased in the water, then he forces her to drink it against her will. Unless she confesses that she is in fact guilty. So she can refuse the process until the name of God in the scroll is erased. After that she cannot refuse, but she can confess. And when he has caused her to drink the water, and if she has, in fact, been unfaithful and trespassed against her husband, then the waters that bear a curse will enter her to become bitter. And her belly will swell and her thigh, euphemistically, will fall away. 
And then the woman will become a curse among her people, as we explained just a few minutes ago. If the woman has not been unfaithful, and she is in fact clean and permitted to her husband, then she will be found innocent, and she will conceive a child. Looking in Rashi. If the woman has not been unfaithful, this is Sira Zo, through this concealment. She was accused of having a relationship with a particular individual, and she did not. And if she is, in fact, clean or permitted to her husband, from any other place, meaning that she was innocent of adultery with any man, not just the one with whom she was suspected. She will be found innocent. From the waters that bring a curse. Not only that, she will conceive a child. If she used to have difficult childbirths, then she will have easier childbirths. And if she used to give birth to dark children, she will give birth to light children. And not to talk too much about the standard of beauty in that time and place, but clearly this is meant to say that the children she gives birth to will be more attractive than they had been before. But let's not get into any subtext there, because it certainly doesn't mean a race issue. Zos Taros HaKanos, this is the law of the jealousies. Asher tista isha tachas isha When a woman goes astray, when she's already in her husband's domain, and she makes herself impure or forbidden to him. Oh, isha sher tavor alav ruach kina, or when a man has a spirit of jealousy overcome him, the is ishto, and he becomes jealous of his wife, the hamid es ha'isha lifnei Hashem, and he causes the woman to stand before God, the asalah ha'kohen es kol ha'torah hazos, and the kohen does to her all the things that we just described. The nika ha'ishme avon, and the man is clear of any sin, and the woman, if she's guilty, will bear her sin. Let's look in Rashi on this last Pasik. The man is clear of any sin. If the waters test her, don't worry and say that I'm responsible for her death. He is in fact exempt from any punishment. A natural response of a person is to feel responsible if she dies because he brought her to the temple for this purpose. But in fact, she did commit a capital crime and this is the appropriate punishment from heaven. It's not his fault. Another interpretation. After he made her drink, she can be with him permissibly because a woman who has had an adulterous relationship is forbidden to her husband. And he's clear from any sin, because a woman who's suspected of adultery is not permitted to be with her husband maritally until after the situation has been cleared up. And that is the end of the issue of the Sota. We will now continue in Perek Vav with the Nazir. God spoke to Moshe, and this is what he said. Dabera b'nei Yisrael, speak to the children of Israel, v'yamrata aleihem, and say to them, Ish o isha, ki yafli, lindor, neder nazir, lahazir lashem. A man or a woman who utters a vow of nazir to consecrate himself to Hashem. Nazir is Nazirite in English, so that's not a very useful translation. Uh, nazir means to separate or to consecrate himself, and we'll see momentarily how exactly he did this. So if somebody makes a vow to become this kind of separate individual, let's take a look in Rashi. Lama nismacha parshas nazir la parshas sota. Why is the section discussing the nazir adjoining the parsha concerning the sota? Lomer 
Shekol haroa sota bekiokula yazir atzmo min hayayin. This tells us that anyone who sees a sota in her degraded state should separate himself from wine. Shehu mevi li neof, which leads a person to adultery. So it's a thematic connection that she was suspected of adultery, and wine is a cause of adultery. Continuing in the Pasuk, Miyayin v'sheichar yazir, he shall separate himself from wine and from other alcoholic beverages. It could mean new wine and old wine. Chometz yayin, vinegar made from wine, v'chometz sheichar, and vinegar made from other strong beverages. Lo yishteh, he shall not drink. V'chol mishras anavim lo yishteh, he shouldn't drink any liquor made from grapes. And he shall not eat either fresh or dried grapes, raisins. Let's look in the Chizkuni on Rashi. He shall separate himself from wine and other forms of intoxicating beverages. It teaches us in the Sifri. He shall separate himself from these types of alcoholic beverages. I hear from this that even for business purposes or medicinal purposes, he has to distance himself from these things. Talmud Lomar, therefore the Torah says, Lo yishteh, he shall not drink. But he can do business with them, and he can use them for medicinal purposes, he just can't eat or drink them. So we see that a Nazir is allowed to have Hana, he's allowed to have benefits from great products, he's just not allowed to consume them. Back in the Chumash. All the days that he's a Nazir, anything that's made from the grapevine, from the Chartsanim to the Zag, he cannot eat. What are the Chartsanim and the Zag? Let's take a look in Rashi. Mechartsanim, heim hagarinim. These are the berries of the grape. Zag, heim haklipos shemibachutz. These are the peels that are on the outside. So he can't eat the interior portion of the grape, he can't eat the grape skins. Pasuk hey, kol yamei neder nizro, Tarlo Yavor Al Rosho, Admalos Hayamim Asher Yazir Lashem, Kadoshihiye Gadel Pera Sa Rosho. All the days that he is a Nazir, a razor cannot come upon his head until he fulfills the time he has designated for himself to be consecrated to this holy purpose. He shall be holy and he shall let the hair of his head grow wild. Now it's interesting to note that Unclus translates instead of razor, he says a maspar, which is more like scissors which are equally prohibited in terms of not being allowed to remove the hair of a Nazir. So it's not specifically a razor, it's any form of hair cutting. Pasuk Vav. The entire time that he is consecrated to Hashem, he shall not go near a dead person. Even for his father, for his mother, for his brother, for his sister, he cannot make himself ritually impure if they die during this period because his vow of consecration to God is on his head. Let's take a look quickly in the Chizkuni on Chumash. Lo yitamalahem, he shall not make himself impure for them. Of a matamehu lameis mitzvah. But he can make himself impure for a meis mitzvah. A person who dies and doesn't have anyone to bury them is called a meis mitzvah. Even the Kohen Gadol, even the high priest who could not make himself impure for anyone who died could make himself impure in order to bury a meis mitzvah. The entire time of his Nazir period, he is holy to God. And if somebody should die, it says on him, but it means near him. So if someone should die in his presence, very suddenly, and cause his consecrated head to become defiled or impure, then he will have to shave his head on the day that he becomes cleansed, on the seventh day, he shall shave it. First, let's take a look at what it means, Pesa Piso. So we said very suddenly. So Rashi explains them as two separate things. 
Bapesa Zeones. This is an accident. This is something unavoidable. As opposed to Pisom, which is Zeshogeg. This is a situation of, oops, my bad. In the first case, somebody died, he's riding on a bus, and the guy next to him drops dead. Nothing you could do about that. Unavoidable. The second case is he walked into a house where there was a dead person, he did not exercise due diligence in planning his Nazir period. The Yesh Omrim, and some say, Pesapisom, Dover Echadhu, that Pesapisom is in two situations, it's one phrase, meaning one thing, Mikrashel Pisom, a sudden accident. Biyom Taharaso, Biyom Hazayaso, in the day when he sprinkled with the water to purify him. O Eno Ela Bishmini, or maybe this means the eighth day, Shehu Tahar Lagamri, by which he is completely cleansed. Tamalomar Biyom Hashvi, that's why the Torah says on the seventh day. Ishvi Yachalafi. But if it only said the seventh day, I would think that that means on the seventh day, even if he hasn't been sprinkled to purify him. Therefore, the Torah says on the day on which he is cleansed. So we see both of these things are necessary in order to fully understand the time at which this should occur. Back in the Chumash, Ubiyom Hashmini, and on the eighth day, Yavishte Sorim Oshnebene Yona El Hakohen El Pesach Ohamoed. On the eighth day after he's been cleansed, he should bring two pigeons or two doves which were the birds used for sacrifices. You should bring them to the Kohen at the doorway of the tent of meeting, the Ohel Moed. And the Kohen prepares one of the birds as a sin offering and one as a burnt offering. And the Kohen will atone for him because of his sin involving the deceased person, and he re-consecrates him on that day. Let's take a look in Rashi. For the reason that he sinned because of that deceased person, because he wasn't careful to avoid contact with the dead. Rabbi Elazar Hakapar Omer says that the sin of the Nazir is that he abstained from wine, which is a permitted thing. So it's undue abstinence from things that are permitted in this world. Now let's contrast this very quickly with the Ramban. The Ramban says, the reason for the chatas, for the sin offering that the Nazir brings on the day he completes his term of separation, is not explained in the text. So the simple explanation of the matter is, is that this person commits a sin by fulfilling his term of Nazirus, of separation from these worldly pleasures. Kihu ata nazir mikdusha so the avodas Hashem for oy hayelo she yazir laolam biyamod kol yemei nazir bekodesh lelokav. He's now separating from his state of holiness and service to God, and it would be fitting for him to remain in this condition his entire life. Then the Ramban cites a few psukim to demonstrate this concept, and he concludes by saying, What he needs is an atonement for returning to the material pleasures of the world. So it's a difference of opinion between Rashi and the Ramban. Rashi cites an opinion that the sin of the Nazir is abstaining from things that are permitted, whereas the Ramban says the sin of the Nazir is returning to the material pleasures of the world. So having been re-consecrated to God, he then fulfills the days that he had committed, at the end of which he brings a lamb for an asham, for a guilt offering. And the days that he had previously served as a Nazir, prior to becoming impure through contact with a deceased person, they don't count, because the period was broken when he became ritually impure. This is the law of the Nazir at the time when he fulfills his obligation. 
Yovioso el Pesach Ohomoed. He shall bring this sacrifice to the door of the tent of meeting. Vehikrit el Karbonol Hashem, and he shall offer his sacrifice to God. Keves Benchnaso Tamimechad, a single lamb in its first year without any blemishes. Leola. That's for a burnt offering. Bakavsa achas bashnasa tamima lachatas, and a female lamb a year old, also without any sort of blemish. That is a sin offering. Ba'ayalachad tamim lishlamin, and a single ram, also without blemish. That's for a peace offering. Basal matzos soles chalos belulos bashemen, and a basket of matzos of unleavened bread made from fine flour, loaves mingled with oil, urkike matzos meshuchim bashamen, and wafers spread with oil, uminchasam veniskehem, along with the requisite meal offerings and libation offerings. And Rashi says that there are ten each of the different baked goods here. So of the matzos and the wafers, there would be ten of each in the basket. The hikriv ha-kohen Hashem, and the kohen brings them before Hashem, and he offers the sin offering and the burnt offering. And he offers the ram. As a peace offering to Hashem, along with the basket of matzahs. And the Kohen offers the appropriate meal offering and libation, along with the peace offering. And the Nazir shaves at the door of the Ohel Moed. Es Rosh Nizro, he shaves his consecrated head. The Lokach es Sa'ar Rosh Nizro, the Nasan Al Haesh, Asher Tachas Zevach And he takes the hair from his consecrated head and he puts it on the fire that's under the peace offering. Rashi clarifies. The Gilach had Nazir Pesach Ohel Moed. The Nazir shaves at the door of the Ohel Moed. I might think that he shaves in the courtyard. But this would be embarrassing. This would be shameful. Rather, the Nazir shaves. After the peace offering is given. About which it is written. He shall slaughter it at the door of the Ohel Moed. Puts his hair on the fire. Which is under the peace offering. Under the pot in which it's being cooked. Because the peace offering of the Nazir was cooked in the Azara. It was cooked in the courtyard. Because the Kohen needs to take the shoulder of the offering and do the wave portion before Hashem after it's cooked. And the Kohen takes the cooked shoulder from the aisle. Bachalos matzah achas, and one of the matzahs, min hasal, from the baskets, urakik matzah echad, and one of the wafers. Benasan al kape hanazir, acher his galcho, es nizro, and he puts them in the palms of the nazir after he shaves his consecrated head. Behenipposam ha kohen, tenufa lifnei hashem, and the kohen leads the nazir in a wave offering before hashem. Kodesh hula kohen, this portion is holy for the kohen. The Kohen gets this portion along with the breast that is waved and the thigh of the offering. And after this process is done, that's when the Nazir is permitted to resume drinking wine. This is the law of the Nazir, who vows an offering to Hashem for his state of Nazirus, according to that which he can afford to give. Whatever he vows, this he must do. And Rashi explains, actually Rashi is a little complicated, let me just say outside that if someone wants to voluntarily give 
more in terms of the sacrifice upon completion of his Nazir period. This he may do. But if someone wants to do less, if he specifies, I'm a Nazir on condition that I give half the sacrifice, that's not effective. You can add to the sacrifice given upon completion of the Nazir's period, but you can't take away from it. Having completed the portion of the Nazir, the Aliyah ends with the Birkas Kohanim, the blessings that the Kohanim gave to the people. So we start in Pasuk Hafbeis 22. God spoke to Moshe, and this is what he said. Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is how you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them. If you look into Rashi, Rashi says, Say to them. Malay. The word Amur is written Malay, which grammatically means it has the optional vav appearing in the word. Do not bless them hastily, or in a rushed manner, but with your full attention and with a whole heart. So what do they just say? That Hashem should bless you and keep you. Rashi, that your possessions should also be blessed. That destructive forces should not come upon you in order to steal your wealth. A person who gives a gift to his servant can't protect it from everyone else. And if robbers come and take it away from the servant, what possible benefit does he continue to enjoy from it? But Hashem can give it, and He can also watch it. And there are many Midrashim talking about this in the Sifrei. So Hashem should bless you and keep you, means that He should enable you to keep that which He has given you. The next bracha, that Hashem should cause His metaphorical face to shine on you, and He should be gracious to you. Hashem should make His face shine on you. That God should show you a happy face, a shining face. And He should be gracious to you. He should show you grace. That Hashem should lift His, again, metaphorical face up to you. And He should grant you peace. He should raise His face to you. He should withhold His anger. He should conquer His anger when it comes to you. And they will put my name among the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Back in Rashi, they will put my name. That when the Kohanim blessed the Jews, they used God's actual name, the ineffable name, the Tetragrammaton, the way it is spelled, not the way we pronounce it in Davening, which is in itself a euphemism. And I will bless them. I will bless the Jews. And I will agree with the Kohanim. So the Kohanim will ask God for good things for Kla Yisrael, and God will agree. Or another explanation, I will bless them means I will bless the Kohanim for doing this for the Jewish people. Now one thing I'd like to mention before we end this aliyah, which has been a very long one. When the Kohanim get up to bless the Jews, when they do in Shul, they say an unusual blessing, which is, That God commanded them 
to bless the Jews with love. Now, we see that God commanded them to bless the Jews, but where did he tell them to do it with love? They don't have to do it lovingly. They can do it grudgingly. They can do it angrily, presumably. Where does it say that they are required to do it in a loving manner? So there are several explanations for this, and I just want to share very briefly. One explanation is that Biahava doesn't refer to the way the Kohanim are to do it. It's not that they have to bless the Jews with love and that the Kohanim do it out of love. It's that they bless the Jews with God's love that these brachas are a reflection of God's love which encompasses all the details of the brachas. So we are commanded to bless the Jews with God's love. That's one explanation. And just a cute little vort. Levarech esamo Yisrael bi'ahava. The gematria of bi'ahava is 15. Bez is 2, plus Aleph is 1 is 3, plus He is 5 is 8, plus another Bez is 2 is 10, plus He is 5 is total of 15. And if you count the words in the three brachas of the Birkas Kahanim, it's Yivrecha Hashem Yishmarecha, that's three. Yore Hashem Panov Elecha Vikunecha, that's five, total of eight. Yisaw Hashem Panov Elecha Vyaseim Lecha Shalom, that's seven. Eight plus seven is fifteen. So it could also be a hint that the Kohanim were commanded to bless the Jews using these fifteen words that Hashem has given them. That brings us to the end of the fourth Aliyah. We will continue with the offerings of the Nesim, and that will take us to the end of the Parsha.